welcome back, listeners, to Ag Watchers. It's a, a very special 50th episode today. Uh, didn't think we'd survive this long with the Ag Watchers podcast, us two, um, us two hacks at the, at the game. But um, we've managed to secure an absolutely fantastic guest on today, uh, listeners. You've got myself oh, and Thanks. Thanks very much, Matt, for inviting me on. <laughs> <laughs> No, someone even someone even more special. It's it's almost a person that doesn't even need an introduction. Um, we could probably just have him start start talking, and um, and anyone in ag would know the voice and um, and they'd know the man. And it's Kerry Lonigan, um, a champion of the industry. Kerry, thanks for coming on to the Ag Watchers. Oh, it's a genuine pleasure, Matthew and Andrew. I've um, heard about you fellas for so long now, and I'm very impressed that you're doing this. The more ag stuff, the better, of course. That, that's right. And someone, I mean, most people would know, obviously anyone in ag would know of you, Kerry, but, um, you know, we, we'd like to use this opportunity, I guess, to um, have a bit of a delve in. Like, you've been around for such a long time. I, I did see on on social media, you actually started your career in ag in, was it a dairy or a beef farm? Was that correct? Oh, uh, look, I remember getting shit on my boots for the first time when I was about four or five, but I started work probably much older than it must have been six or seven, as you do on a farm. My family were on the land a bit a long time before I was born, fortunately, and my uh, uh, parents had the Irish, or my grandparents had the Irish disease, you know, seven sons and Dividing a hundred acres into uh, by seven so it doesn't leave much, but uh, so we came back into town. But I kept in touch with a lot of friends on the land, and consequently, when I was growing up, I worked on various properties for various times and, and learnt a lot. And decided, of course, at the time I was fifteen, I think there was a particular incident on a dairy farm, and I said I'll never want to be a farmer because it's too tough, too bloody hard. That's exactly right. I um I actually started my ag career in a, not a dissimilar fashion. Even though I was um I was an urban boy, I had, we had friends of the family had a dairy farm down at Wilson's Promontory in, in Gippsland, and so as a as a young kid, I used to go down there. I, the first the first vehicle I ever learned how to drive a manual was a was a one throw one three five Massey Ferguson tractor. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and but as a dairy farm as well, I know exactly what you mean. Um. That's probably I reckon one of the hardest gigs in farming is dairy because you just don't get a let up. Not like these oh. grain guys. These grain guys can get get the harvest in and go away for five months or something. Don't you know, about, go, and don't talk about growing sugar either. I can do that in 25 oh, i shouldn't say that you know <laughs> but um so so you, you you know obviously did the credentials uh in the early days where you're actually on farm and doing the hard graph so how did you how did you screw your way into the uh into the reporting space when did that come along and how did oh, that look, all... I, I always had a burning ambition to write stuff and when i was uh, when i was a recalcitrant teenager and thought i knew everything i was out in the push and i was contributing articles to a local paper and they used to take them on any odd occasion. Then I played a lot of sport and I bumped into the um, manager of a radio station who gruffly said to me, how would you like to come and work in my newsroom? And I said, well, I'd love that. And he said, well, all you got to do is improve your voice. (laughs) (laughs) So I I went to Sydney. I got on this plane at the train, the old uh, midnight rattler to Sydney, lined up a job down there and enrolled in a... um, a voice productions <laughs> service that was run by an old radio veteran called Bryson Taylor. He's long gone now, but he was a lovely bloke. And I stayed down there for about four or five or six months or something. And then suddenly the bait arrived and I went back and started. And I walked into the door at nine o'clock one morning and he said to me, you're late. I said, I'll beg your pardon. <laughs> and he gave, me a, he gave me a notebook and he penciled. He said, the court's open in 
and uh, it's already open. There's a big trial on there. I want you to cover it. And do you know how to walk into a courtroom? I said, yes, I do. <laughs> so that was my first story. So was that like a, a journalism cadetship then, I guess, in those oh, days? No, look, cadetships were very hard to find. I did apply for a couple of cadetships and didn't get the first base, but this was uh, learning on the job with a quite a, a veteran reporter of the old school. And then I moved on from there probably too quickly. And I went to Tamworth and worked in the newsroom up there. And then I went to um, all over the place. And I always had this um, inkling that I should go to the sunny places because as you know, the Hunter Valley, <laughs> it's as cold as charity in the, in the, in the winter and as hot as bloody all get out in the summer. So I didn't like that, but I enjoyed the heat. So I thought I might come to go to the tropics. My initial idea was to go up to Cairns, but I got as far as Brisbane and that's where I've been most and of you, my life since. And you stopped. And so you said before though, you, you played a bit of sport in your youth, um, coming from New South Wales originally, would that have been rugby? I mean, you're a, you're oh, a pretty play, tall, tall fellow. I would have thought. Oh, maybe look, like... I played a bit of row and I played quite a bit of rugby actually. And I, I couldn't run, I couldn't kick and I couldn't tackle. But other than that, I was pretty handy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I would have. I was thinking maybe when I first met you, Kerry, it would have been at Beef Week a few, uh, a few few incarnations back. And on the TV, when when you see on the TV, you can't, you don't get a you, you can't tell scale. So the first time I met you, I, I was quite surprised at how how tall you are. I thought when you said you played sport, you might have been doing basketball or something. Oh, well, I did. I did do that, but I'm, I'm sort of not basketball tall. I'm just tallish, but. Um... <laughs> Taller than me and Andrew, taller than Andrew by a long stretch. Uh, we're just little short fellas compared to you, mate. But um, so, so you got the gig. I uh, say I was, uh, couldn't run, couldn't enjoy the competitive nature of sport and the fellowship afterwards more than anything. So, so you, 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 you kind of got into the journey side of things and you've been in for such a long time. Um, are any are there any big stories that stick out in your mind? I'm thinking like you would have been around through the through the um, 1970s beef crash, wouldn't you? You would have been reporting then. Would that be right? Oh, look, I was... I was certainly there, but I was um, not directly involved in it then because uh, real reporters were as rare as rocking horse shit. They just didn't exist in the country. Then the only connection that was there and was available was the good old country, which, strongly uh, enough, usually came out of the city. But uh, <laughs> it was uh, the... Um, look, I remember it, and I remember the distress around the area, although the Hunter Valley was uh, quite variable and diverse, so... If the cattle were no good, they could turn to sheep or they could grow wheat or something. It was a, a terrific place like that. But I remember some of the incidents there where there was very distressed graziers who were taking cattle to market and and the, with the and the agent would say, put them back on the truck or don't take them off. You know, that, that's how terrible it was in those days. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I was only just uh, just being born around that time. I think I was born in 72 and, and the... The beginnings of the problems, I think, was '73 when the UK basically pulled out of our. You know, they decided to join the go go and um, what uh, join the European Union in '73, and, and then you know stop taking our beef, and it caused a hell of a lot of problems through the late '70s. There. Yeah, I'll look at um, that and the Americans uh, pulling the rug out from underneath us with no notice whatsoever. And suddenly, I think in those days, we had 28 million cattle or something, didn't we? I, I just find it quite bizarre when you look back and 28 million cattle and all we were exporting was uh, grinding meat and, and we had no markets in Asia to speak of. Uh, we had 28 million cattle. What did we do with it all, for heaven's sake? We must have and, a much, it, and, a much, yeah, well, and a much smaller population. But I looked at the stats a little while back for um, per capita consumption of beef and it's come off a fair way over yeah. those years, you oh. know, um, so, so I guess um, 
yeah, that's that's part of it. Domestically, we're not nowhere near eating the amounts we would have been eating back then. No, of course, we're in, in those days, a um, chicken was a very rare treat. I remember chopping the head off quite a few old chooks in our backyard and chasing my sisters with the fork and chook. But uh, <laughs> and uh, but as I say, it was a pretty rare treat in those days. Now, of course, it's chicken. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. So, so Kerry, you started off in humble beginnings. Yep. And then you you made your way onto the onto the TV. With, well, I was, um, yeah. Look, it was uh, I. I didn't make an easy transformation from words to words and pictures. I must say, it was a bit of a struggle. And I, although I did have a good go at Tamworth, they were pretty good up there for with me. And and then I ended up with a gig. I was news editor at a city radio station, and I walked out and discussed the way the staff was being treated but and and uh, I ended up being picked up by Channel 9 and I went to Channel 9 for about seven or eight years until we were all sacked by Alan Bond in a, in a strange <laughs> setting yeah. so it was uh, quite peculiar that one so uh, here's your hat and watch your hurry on Tuesday we're gone by the next day. Alan Bond so, had that. Uh, Alan Bond had that American fellow. Was it Al Dunlop or something that? No, no, in? we was no. I no. Al Dunlop. He worked for Packer, but um, oh, yeah, that's right. You're right. Yep. Uh, the, but they had some nasty little creep who was sent over from Perth to do the dirty on us, and, and he did it. And look, it was a bit of a shock. I'd never been sacked in my life before. So uh, anyway, I I think I got sacked on a Wednesday, and by on oh, know decided to be a professional golfer off a handicap of 27. That was a pretty difficult task. So um, I, uh, by Friday, I'd been offered a job up at Channel 9. So that's where I went. And I spent seven years there. A, a big pun. By Friday, I had a phone call saying, you've got to come and work for us at the ABC. And I said, well, uh, and, and uh, I said, no, 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 no. I've already, you've already asked me two or three times. I'm not going anyway. I saw a bloke in the street about a week later, was, uh, and he said, you must come, you must come. So I reluctantly, I'd already sold most of my earthly possessions and was on a on a plane to live on a kibbutz in the Golan Heights in Israel. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I had it all planned. But I had to forego that uh, ambition, and I st went to the ABC, and after I was there about a week, I think the, I thought the lunatics are in charge of this assignment. <laughs> I was about to leave. So... But it got better. So know, 35 years later, I, I got the spear, but it was a wonderful ride while it was there. So, so, you, so you were, you were the, the sort of the instrumental creator of, of the original landline. When oh, look, was, um, what gave you the idea? Oh, look, I always had an inkling that I wanted to do it because when I was producing 730 <laughs> Report, and I was at one stage briefly the national editor there, and I... I ask all the state editors to get some more stories out of regional and rural Australia. And some of them came back and said, this is much better than I thought. And I said, of course it is. All you've got to do is search and find them. And then I moved on and there was a opportunity to replace a, a, country, a, a program on the ABC called Countrywide, which I thought was a good program, but I honestly perceived it as a country program made for city people. And I always had this yearning to do a country program made for country people with real stuff in there, like getting into abattoirs and on farms and that sort of stuff and getting into you know, getting into the nitty gritty of it all and even into the minutiae of it all out in the right on the on the tractors and what they were doing. And uh, I had that opportunity and, and I didn't know it would work. I, I had a feeling it would work. And then we 
we started by doing some broader sort of stories. And I said to the reporters, listen, we've got to get out there. We had no budget. The budget was two-fifths of jack shit. I can tell you it was very small. <laughs> and I sent some reporters out to do a story on uh, um, various uh, tram lining, I think it's a broad name. for What's that called again? Beeline farming or something, is it? Uh, oh, geez, I'm not sure which one you're referring to there. The, the controlled, controlled traffic farm? Controlled, oh, that one. Yeah, well, yeah. controlled traffic, where they go on the same yeah. uh, 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 lines every every time they go on the paddock. So, and it went for about 20 minutes, I thought. <laughs> and I thought if someone's going to watch a 20-minute story on tram lining, there must be fans of the genre. So it worked. <laughs> well, it was, there, was that, there was that SBS documentary they had where they were, was it the GAN or the, the bloody train. thing? Where, the train. Exactly. And it was, it was 20, <laughs> we're, 25 we're, hours of bloody just going on the train with hardly any... We were the forerunner of that, but it would work. And we did a couple of other stories and we managed to... I had a few mates and I in the in the industry and I managed to get into abattoirs and then we did a story in in uh, Darwin once and I wanted to do a profile of the live export trade which was just starting to take off then and the crew were standing on the, the on the port in um, Darwin and they're looking up at this boat that was badly loaded with cattle the next day and they and they were looking to see how they were going to go up and asked if they could get on board and just have a look at the ship. And the guy shouted out, who are you? Who are you? We're the ABC. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Because the ABC had done a lot of uh, heavy work on various parts of the industry, not so much the live export industry, but um, grazing, etc. especially in the Turkey, they did some jobs. And they told him to get the hell out of there. And, and then he came back and he looked over and says, where are you from? And they shouted out back up to the bridge. They said, uh, we're from uh, Landline. And the guy looked, he said, oh, you're from Kerry's Mob. You can come on, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a, I, knew a... it, I knew who it was. It was an old vet mate of mine who had known for ages. And we'd spoken about what, what I was trying to do on the program. And uh, he was a great supporter. And he, he saved us in that story because we got on board and we went through all the decks and he let us on there with the camera. We didn't have any cattle on board. We saw them loading the next day but we also showed the ship and how big it was and how many square meters per beast etc etc so it was a revealing story and I think I mean it showed a lot to uh, not only to um, the urban Australians but to a lot of farmers and graziers around the country who had no idea what conditions were like and how live exports worked. It was it's a sorry Andrew you go. So in, in that sort of long career that, you, that you've had, Kerry. What was the what was the most memorable story that you've that you can remember? Oh, look. What was the I big did one? Some overseas stuff when I was a, a run of the mill reporter, and I and I did some stuff in Lebanon that I'll never forget. But in terms of rural, I and I'm not still not sure whether it was the right thing to do as the deregulation of the dairy industry. I have some misgivings about that over many many years, and I think a lot of people still do. Probably the way the world was moving at the time, they had to go to deregulation. But I think you'd do it a different way now. Surely that's in a in a um, in a in a rural sense. Uh, look, we did some stories on rural mental health, which I uh, put front and centre in the 
in the minds of people who are watching Landline, and we got a massive reaction to some of those stories in the early days when we devoted a complete program to uh, mental disorders with young workers, young kids in the teenagers in rural and regional yeah. Australia, where at that time there are absolutely no services and even the GPs just shrugged their shoulders and couldn't cope with it. So they would say, you've got to go into the city if you want to get help. And so so, so it's, it's, just, unfortunate, it's unfortunate, Kerry, that's not that much different now, really. Well, yes, but you've got that online stuff now where yeah, you, can, you can dial into a psychiatrist up on Wickham Terrace or Macquarie Street and they can talk to you. It's, it's a, that's a, a tremendous boost for the GP because the GP can have his patient in his surgery and Cullamuller and he can talk to the, the, the psych and Wickham Terrace. It's, that's improved a, a huge amount. But look, you'd love to see more and the more that can be, they can help people out there is uh, all the better for everybody, the whole communities, in fact. Mm. I think um, we had Mary O'Brien from Are You Bogged Mate on the podcast yeah, a few yeah. few episodes ago, and, and she I mean she does some great work. And I think you're right, Andrew, in saying that there's probably still not enough there. But I think there's a lot it's more being improved. Yeah, it's improved and it's been discussed. But you know, good to see they you carry again. You're well ahead of the curve, bringing it to the fore in the early days. Um, yeah. I mean, when you when you're talking about that whole idea for landline, I just I noted last year I think on ABC. One of their most popular shows was that Heather Hewitt show where she goes around. Oh, Backroads, yeah. Backroads, yeah. That, that, that's just taken off. And, and it just goes to show, like what you were saying before, that, that there's a lot of great stories out there in regional, rural and, and yeah. remote communities. And, and there's, a real, there's a real yearning, not just from other country folk, to, to find out what's going on in other parts of Australia. But I think, you know, they're very popular amongst, you know, all, most of my family are city dwellers and, and they love watching it. You know, they love watching Landline. They love watching... Um, uh, back roads as well just because it's uh, it just gives them a window into areas that they're just yeah. not familiar with you know so it's a it's real commendable that you um you had those ideas so you know so early in 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 the time and have uh, kind of led the way to a degree for, for for some of these other programs we have now well it hit a button somewhere Matthew one of the things that uh, has amazed me is the, the ratings in the capital cities and sometimes we even win our slot or, or the landline used to win its slot on the Sunday at 12 o'clock against movies and high football shows and things like this, which is pretty hard to do. And, and then the, as the facilities or the, uh, uh, the uh, technical stuff got better, the ABC background people got on to testing the credibility and authority and likability of programs. And they, in the last years I was there, they used to send out this one every six months or so. And landline, in terms of its credibility, likability, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, was always at the top, even in front of Four Corners and Q&A and all those other programs that are, uh, that are addressed to a completely different audience. I think, yeah, like, right. like from, from my point of view, like I, I'm, I'm obviously a, a new person to Australia. I've only been watching landline for 10 years, so I haven't, I haven't grown up with, with landline, uh, but I grew <laughs> up with, uh, with Country File, which is the... Uh, I, I remember guess. that well. We actually uh, swapped a few stories with them over the years, Country File. And uh, but but what what I liked about you know Landline is the difference between Country File is that Country File didn't seem to have the same consistency of presenters and and and, and it didn't seem to have the same. When, when you talk about authority, I think it's on 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 Landline. It seemed natural, and it seemed like everybody who was who is involved is 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 keen on. Yeah, Australian they, agriculture. It comes across. 
Oh, good on Thanks for that, because they, they love it. I know that the major reporters have got there are all people I hired about 20 years ago. I mean, the, the Sean Murphys of the world and the Timmy Lees and uh, Prue Adams only left uh, last year sometimes. She took a redundancy that tries of a couldn't fit it into a, a Euclid truck, I can tell you. So anyway, she's, she was a great reporter, one of our best ever storytellers. But the staff there have been there a long, long time, very, very loyal. And they're committed to uh, the display of regional rural Australia in a positive way. I said, I don't want to see another whinging farmer on any television associated with Landline. And we managed to keep them off mostly over the years. Can't help it sometimes, but that's basically what I'm doing. And so now, Kerry, you're not you're not totally out of the game, though, just for those listeners that, I mean, most of our listeners probably already know, but just for the sake of those one or two that don't, you, you, you're doing your own podcast uh, now with the Beef Central crew that's fairly regular. That's, um, that's going well. It's got some good hits online. You've had a, a good array of uh, different yeah. participants in the meat space. It's, it's funny how things knock on. I, I, I've known John for years and years, and he's always the top reporter at the Queensland Country Life and for the network, his network over many, many years. And uh, then he left and he started this thing called Beef Central. I said, what's he doing? Leaving a nice secure job like a QCL. Anyway, he took the best young kid they had there, uh, James as well, James Nason. And then they um, started this up and I had a look at it and I thought, this is working. This is going to be well. This is going to do very well. So I quoted it a couple of times and landed on in the market reports. And I, I'm the old fashioned person. I always gave people credit when I've, if I find a story that I haven't got myself, I will always give them credit for where it came from. And I would say, as reported on Beef Central, and John really appreciated it. He said, mentioning Beef Central and Landline around Australia was a good fillip to them when they first started because people said, we used to say to each other, what's this Beef Central? Let's look it up. And so I'm not saying we gave it a start because he's, he's, it's an outstanding publication, I think, and it lives on its own merit. But the, I certainly mentioned it a lot on Landline simply because I, was, I felt obliged to. And and when I uh, got the punt from the ABC, uh, John phoned me up, Gary, Gary, we want to do some podcasts. So I said, <laughs> okay, so that was good. That would start it, yeah. That's keeping you in the game. And so at the moment, that, that's the weekly grill, the podcast you do there at Beef Central. Um, now, at the, you've had quite a lot of beef players on that in that space. Are you going to branch out and talk to any of the sheep guys or, or are you going to extend it to other commodities? Or is it Well, I don't know. Uh, John's keen, I think, because he does run Sheep Central and Property Central and Job Central and any other central central station almost. He probably <laughs> runs that as well. But he um, look, it, it's possible. I enjoy speaking with these people. A lot of them I know. And uh, look, I've got a couple of hot ones coming up. I couldn't, didn't think I'd ever get this bloke to talk to me, but he's got some, if you could tell me half of the, some of the secrets he knows, it'll be quite revealing, but he's to come. That's good. It's, get, it's certainly getting some good traction. We, Andrew and I listen to it uh, regularly just, just to get a few tips on how to be a bit more professional in the podcast game. I had to skip two of the episodes because I couldn't listen to the ones on it. <laughs> <laughs> be kind, yeah. Andrew, be kind. Yes. Uh, but in, in terms of, like, you, you uh, Kerry, you've always been quite a, quite a forthright type of a person and it's always been respected in that you you've always put forward your own opinion and and do you find that like the you're sort of with the new gig with the new podcast that you're able to sort of breach areas that you might not have previously been able to oh sometimes yes i look um 
look, you've got to be respectful for these people because it's not the 730 report, nor is it the Spanish Inquisition, but it's a conduit of information about them and what they're doing to the to the community. And I do have a lot of respect for the people I'm talking to because some of them are the, the, the great achievers. I mean, the fellow who started that transport, his father started, but he ballooned it to what it is now, Fraser's transport. He's a mm. remarkable bloke. And I enjoyed talking to him. I enjoyed talking to all of them. I'm, I'm a, a natural listener, as one of my early editors said. Well, at least you listen to the people you're interviewing. You don't like a lot of people. But, uh, so I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah, it, come, it certainly comes through. And uh, it's, I, I look forward to listening to it every week as well uh, when it's coming out, just because, like I said, the variety you've had, even, even withstanding the fact that they've been mostly beef at the moment, it's still a great variety of of uh, the supply chain. Um, so it gives people a great insight, really. Um, oh, again, uh, uh, Matty, when I first started Landline, one of the bosses in Sydney had never been further west of Hornsby, than, except at 30,000 feet. He said to me, oh, you'll run out of stories in 12 or 18 months, won't you? That's what, exactly the words he used, you'll run out of stories. And I looked later. at him <laughs> 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 No, nah, mate, no, nah, mate, don't you worry about that. <laughs> So um, we touched on it before about the, you know, when we spoke about the um, the 70s kind of beef crash and how it impacted the market. And part of that was obviously, you know, the fact that our export market was so such an in, in infancy and fairly not very diverse, yeah. whereas nowadays we've got an incredibly diverse kind of section for red meat. Um, but we still have this um, this battle now with China. What, what's your perspective on the whole kind of China scenario? I guess not just from a, a beef perspective, but maybe from a broader Australian commodity perspective. Oh, um, look, it's the, the broader commodities. I mean, people say that, oh, we've found other markets for the barley. Well, they might have found other markets, but it's probably... 80 or $100 a tonne less than what they would have been paid by China. So, look, in the end, I think the demand for protein around the world is not going to impact that much. Well, you've got China playing ducks and drakes with our agribusiness resources. It, it, it's, it, we'll recover, we'll get by them. I mean, we thought it was the end of the world when the EU bumped us, and then we thought it was a further bigger end of the world when America dumped us. So, but we got through it, and Australian farmers, as you know, are among the most efficient in the world, and they all get through. I'm sure that the other parts of Asia and and the and and indeed North America, the Middle East even, uh, will account for so much of our protein that we can produce. Heavens, if the demand keeps going the way it is, and they keep killing so many cattle in South America, I can't mm. see anything stopping the say the ecchi, the indicator, going below eight fifty cents for a long, long time. Yeah, no, I looked at some with the and with the forecast that MLA put out recently on the the rebuild and, and the pace of the rebuild. Yeah, um, it's going to mean that there's going to be limited opportunity for product really uh, um, for the next two to three years. So that's that's really going to continue to support domestic, this domestic situation as well. And Matty, it's reinforcing the price of land that we all thought was outrageous twelve or eighteen months ago, two years ago even. And now it seems quite reasonable the prices they paid then. Just no, no. And there's plenty of. I mean, Andrew and I just had a bit of it. We we fairly regularly get uh, offshore interest come through, you know, via the TEM website, chatting to us about their thoughts on things. And we just had another one this week, uh, an offshore North American interest looking looking to continue to you know expand. Uh, we see, you know, the Canadians are pretty active. Uh, I think I see PSP is the biggest owner of agricultural land now. I think in the whole of the whole of Australia, in terms of an offshore. It is. That, you know, that's the Canadian boys, is it? Yeah, uh, yep, yeah, yeah. They are huge, aren't they? 
Yeah, and, and across multiple commodities, you know, it's not, it's not just one area. They're, they're pretty much spreading their wings, forestry, forestry uh, you know, almonds, almonds. Uh, sheep, yeah, pigs, the whole work. You know, and obviously beef as well. They're cotton. They're everywhere. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's probably a, a sign too that, that you've got these sharp, uh, very, very clued in investors that are keen to invest into Australia as a signal uh, as to how good the Australian it's producer just, is. Look, look, the only thing, Matthew, that I hope they've been watching over the last four or five years and realise Australia can get pounded by drought. Correct. And it's not always hunky-dory like it is these days where there's plenty of grass around and, and as I say, people are drunk on grass and they're paying anything for everything, but, uh, but it just they should just be wary. As I said, I think one of the first things we, an, a sort of essay I put on landline 25 or 30 years ago is that the most important thing in Australian life at the moment is water, it's conservation, it's distribution and it's price. And it's still the case in farming and all over Australia, even in rural, regional Australia and rural Australia and, and, and urban Australia, water is just so significant for this country and it will, it will remain so until we get fair dinkum about its storage and capture. And, and if we don't build another couple of major dams somewhere in the next 18 months or two years, then we'll be cutting our own throats because we simply can't sustain the level of agribusiness west of the range without water. Mm. It's the key ingredient. So that's my lecture for today. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I think I don't know if it will be because I want to ask you something else. That <laughs> <laughs> the, the, one of the ones that we've seen a lot in the last couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm getting a bit frustrated with it because it almost became an incident in our household where my wife nearly accidentally ordered fake beef fake beef my because goodness. she was doing we're, we're in lockdown so we have to order our food online and it came in a package uh, on the website that said that it was all it looked like beef like you couldn't tell it wasn't beef until you looked at the small print yeah and and i'm starting to see more and more of like this how beef fake beef and fake pork is going to save the world What's your, what's your views on that? Oh, look, I think it's an appalling behaviour. It says how lazy they are. They can't create a product. They can sledge uh, meat and, and our protein products by, uh, and then they want to say chicken-free chicken and meat-free meat and, and, and dairy-free cheese for Christ. God, give us a break. Because, As I say, my attitude has always been they can make what they want, they can create what they want, they can sell what they want, but they shouldn't steal other people's what is essentially intellectual property and doesn't belong anywhere near a, um, a mung bean or a, a, a mung bean isn't meat. Thank you. Because my because that's what so that's what the labelling was. It was it was no bull beef. Yeah. And so my missus thought that it was uh, beef that was just from a mince that was just from cows. Look, I can. <laughs> As she I said, can, is that a thing? <laughs> yes. I, 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 off the record, on the record now, I, I spoke with a senior politician about this very issue a couple of times, mm -hmm. and his reaction was they're not interested in making any changes. And I was appalled at that, as appalled this bloke should have known better. But there are other avenues towards the top, and look, I suspect there's something going to happen. Surely it must happen in the next 12 months. There's been action in America, there's been action in Europe. And there was only, I think there was a state legislature that passed something even recently, wasn't it, Matthew, in Texas somewhere, wasn't yep. it? Mm, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but it was a, it's a good point you make, though, that, and I hadn't thought about it this way either, Kerry, that you've got this whole sector, particularly in that, in that fake meat space, 
but they they spend half of their time denigrating the meat yeah. sector and saying how bad it is environmentally you know which that's not yet proven in my books and and the whole the whole way that they create this product i don't think it's necessarily the fake meat product that is, is is not necessarily that environmentally sustainable anyway but but they denigrate to death the, the, the industry itself and the product and then yet when and it comes lev- to lev- advertising leverage off of its history exactly because. then they try and use that that advertising that they know that i mean you look at when we went through lockdown we've had a few goes at it in victoria here carry this out we're in our fourth incarnation of lockdown but every time we go into lockdown you know areas of the shelves in the supermarkets get cleared out like the toilet paper which astounds me why that's so popular yeah. but it does, but then you look at the meat aisle and, and, and a lot of the meat product gets cleared out as well and then sitting next to the meat products, all this fake meat stuff, and it's just still piled high. So they're clearly, they're clearly not appealing to the masses, but, but you know, they're trying their best now to try and, I guess, trick consumers like Andrew's partner into buying the product, which is uh, well, it's, it's a cute... Yeah, look, it's, there's something action must happen because it's like when uh, they had that almond milk and whatever it is, soy milk and all this sort of stuff. And I had a go at them on landline anyway. And I said, just stop being so lazy, invent your own names. It's not milk. Milk comes from a cow and it certainly doesn't come from a nut and it's 97.5% water and you're mixing a scrambled up bloody almond into it and you're calling it almond milk. It's, I said, it's disgraceful, it's pathetic and it's lazy. Anyway, oh. every latte sipping hipster around town must have emailed me in the next week, I'm telling you. Yeah, that's it. Well, I guess though, Kerry, they can't refer to it as, as white juice and it comes from nuts. That's probably what they should. <laughs> might, might not be as, as popular, but um, I think, you know, we've, we've um, certainly taken... Uh, a large degree of your time today, Kerry, and we're very appreciative of, uh, of your insights and, and coming on and spending some time with us. But um, um, we, don't, we, don't take up, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. I'm, I'm sure I know you, you've not just got the Beef Central gig. I think you're doing some other very important stuff there. So, so you're nowhere near retirement yet, I don't think. Um, you, you, you're keeping nah, pretty busy. I, I might head out now for a, a soy latte almond. No, I won't. No, I won't. <laughs> No, look, really appreciate you uh, you taking the time to speak with us, and and particularly on our um on our fiftieth episode, it's it's great to have such a um such a an interesting and and, and a well respected um ag, ag celebrity. It's, it's, it's not not the only. Oh, you flatter me too Dave, much, Maddie. Right? Thank you very much. It's been good fun, Andrew. No, thanks very much, Kerry. Good pleasure, pleasure. See you later. So, uh, did you want do you want to do a quick round off, Andrew, and we'll um we'll we'll hit the music. Yep. Uh, again, thanks, Kerry, for coming along. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners for, uh, for for tuning in, so to speak. Uh, if you like the podcast, what you can do to support it is by sharing it with your friends and family, uh, giving it a, a retweet or uh, sticking it on your TikTok or your Weibo or Bebo or MySpace or whatever you've got. Uh, that would be fantastic. So again, thanks for thanks for coming along. See you when you got nothing on. Pleasure again, Andrew. Thanks Cheers. very much. Yep.